This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, uh, and, you, and it is difficult uh, to to understand and to apply. Help us to accept what you have to say and live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. A few years ago, I met a Christian friend. So he has been at that point, he has been married for a year or so. Plus, so how's married life? So I explained to say, well, it's been great. This first year has been has been excellent. We went to this uh, honeymoon destination and that holiday. But that's not what he said. He said, he's been having a hard time. A very hard time. He said, I have not spoken to my wife in the past six months. Because after marriage, uh, my wife started to become more driven by earning more and more money. So she worked late often. And she stopped going to church because she couldn't wake up. So the church members tried to uh, contact her, her pastor tried to contact her, but she would not reply. So my friend just didn't know what to do. And as he was sharing, uh, I, I, I didn't know what to say. Should he continue to try working things out? I mean, six, un- six months uh, is a long time. And if things don't work out, what should we do? Should we consider divorce? And if he gets a divorce, should he marry someone else? Well, marriage is hard. There is no fairy tale ending. You suddenly have to sacrifice your me time. You suddenly have to do housework, manage children, worry about money. Today, many, many marriages end with divorce. Today, we might all know someone where, whose lives have been changed by it. Maybe their parents have divorced. Maybe they themselves have divorced. The divorce lawyers and counselors say that couples now are less patient uh, with a lousy marriage and they are more reluctant uh, to work through their marital woes. And one lawyer said this, and not Fang, okay, uh, she's, one lawyer said this, uh, it is becoming apparent that people gen- are generally placing a higher premium on their own happiness and are less tolerant in a marriage which is not meeting their needs. So this is what society thinks. Should marriage and divorce be any different for Christians? How should a Christian think about singleness, marriage and divorce? Well, that's what we'll be finding out from today through the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, we've learned that Jesus is the only way to enter God's kingdom, to be God's people. Last week, we saw that God's people, the kingdom people, must value humility, welcome others, and they must forgive others. Today, In today's passage, we'll see how being in the kingdom, how being in the kingdom of God must change the way that we think and how the way we view our relationship status. Our passage today, chapter 19, starts with a trap. You see, this it starts with a question, and this question isn't whether divorce is okay or not. We'll look at verse 3. Why is the question? So some Pharisees came to came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So that's the that's the question. Is it right according to the law to div- to divorce for any and every reason. So Jesus can say, yes, a man can divorce for, for any reason he wants. Or Jesus can say, no, a man cannot divorce his wife for any reason, only some reasons. So Jesus' Jesus' answer will show uh, which position of divorce he took. In Jesus' day, there are two views 
on divorce. And these two views are based on a law in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 24 is the fifth book of the Bible, uh, and it's uh, very important for the Jews. Okay, so this is what it says. So just verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Okay, so just looking at this verse, the first, the two views, or the two views on divorce are largely based on this one verse. So the first view is that it's lawful to divorce for any reason. So as long as there's something or his wife that is displeasing. For example, if she burns his food. Or if he finds another woman more attractive than his wife. Then his wife relatively is displeasing to him and he can write a certificate of divorce and legitimately divorce his wife. And the second view is the thing that displeases the man has to be some form of sexual immorality. That's uh, sex outside of marriage. So it's lawful to divorce for sexual immorality. One group says any reason also can. The other group says only sexual immorality. So Jesus with this is with the any reason also can group where the Pharisees will say, oh, Jesus, you have low moral standards. But if Jesus is with the only sexual immorality group, then Jesus will get into trouble. The Pharisee could get Jesus into trouble by autoing him to the king and the queen. You see, at that point, uh, the queen then, Herodias, before she became queen, she divorced her husband to marry her husband's brother, uh, the king, King Herod. So John the Baptist is uh, one of the prophets in the Bible. John the Baptist told King Herod uh, that that marriage, that this marriage was not lawful. What happened to John? John got put into prison and John got beheaded. What Jesus says is that he's with neither group. You see, to understand divorce, you must first understand marriage at the beginning. So verse 4 says, Haven't you read? He replied, That at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The place to begin thinking about marriage isn't the law in Deuteronomy, but at the beginning. That's what verse 4 says. The beginning in Genesis. So Jesus goes back all the way to Genesis to show What's God's intention for marriage? What God made marriage to be? So Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and it records things before Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Verse 4 tells us that the creator of the world, the, the creator who made marriage, he made male and female for marriage. And in verse 5, God declared, or God said, that a man will leave his parents to form a new family with his wife. So this means that when a couple marries, God is the one who puts them together. God is the one who has united the couple together. Since God has put them together, no one should separate them. God made marriage to be permanent. Marriage was designed for permanence. So husband and wife should not divorce. So since divorce is not in God's plan for marriage, both views, both Jewish views, 
were wrong. The any any reasons or can view the sexual immorality view, both of them were wrong. God's standard is much higher than that. But the Pharisees weren't done with uh, with trapping Jesus. Jesus has just showed that God's plan for marriage uh, didn't include divorce. But Moses, God's prophet, talks about divorce in Deuteronomy. Then how? So they ask, they ask Jesus in verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it is not it was not this way from the beginning. So the, in verse 7, the Pharisees say that Moses commanded divorce in writing. But in verse 8, Jesus said Moses permitted divorce. So who's right? Was divorce command or was divorce permitted? Let's go back to the Deuteronomy 24 passage. So this is the passage, this is the law that God gave Moses to give to the people. So as I read verse 1 to 4, uh, try to picture the specific situation that's going on here. Okay, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry again after she has been defiled. That will be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Okay, so this sounds, uh, there seems like a lot of words here, a lot of ifs. So this is, I try to de- uh, describe this in a diagram. Okay, so this is the diagram. <laughs> husband, one, and so this is husband one, this is the wife. So husband one is displeased with his wife for something indecent, so he divorces her. Oh, wait. Yeah, divorces her. And she marries husband two. So this is the question. Let's say if husband two uh, divorces the wife, or if husband two dies, can, can the wife go back to marry husband one? Okay, so that's that, that what's going on in, in the passage. So the answer is, no, he can't. No, no, she can't. This passage, you see, doesn't really talk about the right reason for divorce. But this passage also doesn't talk about the right procedures for divorce. The only thing that we see in verse 1 is that, I mean, this practice of writing a certificate is like a secondary thing, it's like a by-the-way thing. The law here is more about whether or not the wife can go back to husband one. So what we see here is Moses didn't command divorce. Moses permitted divorce. But if that's the case, then does it mean that Moses, the prophet, contradicted God? If You see, Moses permitted divorce, but God meant for marriages to be permanent. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says that there's no contradiction. In verse 8, Moses permitted divorce because the people's hearts were hard. So this means that God's intention for marriage was for it to be permanent. But, but the people's sinful hearts reject what God has said about marriage. 
So Moses, what Moses said was supposed to limit the amount, the limit the effects of sin among God's people. And Jesus continues in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now this, what Jesus says here is very strange. You see, you and I will understand adultery as, as happening if only um, if you are married and you have uh, sex outside marriage. I mean, a few years ago, there's, uh, on, the, on the back of I don't know, one of the taxis, there was this advertisement that says, catchcheatingspouse.com. Yeah, I, some of us have seen that. Because we understand adultery as sex, as a husband or wife committing sex outside the marriage while that person is still married. But what Jesus says is, adultery happens when you are divorced and you are supposedly you are free to marry. Well, that's very surprising because we normally think, right, that uh, divorce is or marriage is like uh, this agreement that people sign. So when we cancel, when both sides agree to cancel the agreement, then what well, we can we can tear up the, the marriage certificate. There is no agreement, and both parties are free to marry again. That's how we normally understand it, but that's not what Jesus says to God. Divorce and remarriage is adultery. It goes against God's intention for the permanent marriage between one man and one woman. It is sinful to God. The only exception here is that if the partner has committed sexual immorality or if the partner has had sex outside the marriage. So a husband and wife, they're supposed to be one flesh. So let's say, so one partner, let's say the husband, let's say if he has committed sexual sin, he has become one flesh with someone else. So it's almost like this original one flesh union has been separated between husband and wife so that the husband can form another one flesh union with someone else. So that's why the, that's why the exception clause is there. But even though that's what the, that's what the exception clause says, the exception isn't 100% clear. You see, an important question you could ask is, does this sexual sin, does it, in verse 9, does it refer to one act, or does it refer to a repeated act, or does it refer to uh, an unrepentant repeated act? Well, perhaps we shouldn't be trying to focus on what exactly this exception clause is, or what is the, what's the legitimate reason for divorce and remarriage. Maybe our focus should be more on what Jesus says about marriage is and try to work to a that, try to focus on that. And even if unrepentant and repeated sexual immorality has happened, divorce is permitted, not commanded. And last week, we learned about forgiving one another so since God has forgiven us, forgiven you of this big debt that is impossible for you to repay, well, you should also have you should also be able to forgive other people. Well, it's not easy. I know someone of, uh, whose father uh, was, was active in his church. And one day, his family found out that he had a mistress outside, and his family was preparing for the very likely divorce because uh, this man did wanted to be with the woman, wanted to be the mistress. But this man knew what the right thing was. On one hand, he knew what the right thing was, but on the other, 
he loved the mistress. But thank God, through a lot of through a lot of people's prayers, through a lot of people's rebukes, uh, he decided to stop this relationship. And the wife chose not to divorce him. And it's very hard. It is very hard to forgive someone who has betrayed you so badly and now wants to come back to their marital home. So this, in this situation, we really need to remember how God has forgiven us. And we need to ask God for, ask God for help, ask God for grace to help us to forgive. Now just as God first forgave us. Now this passage is very hard to, to apply. In Singapore, a survey done showed that one in four married people are seriously thinking about leaving their spouse. That's a lot of people. But that means, and God means for marriages to be permanent for those who are in His kingdom, for those people who have believed in Jesus. So let's help one another do that. So encourage the married couples to persevere in their marriages. So, and if your marriage needs help, uh, let the pastors know ASAP uh, so that they can help you to be faithful to God, what God has said in the Bible. An experienced pastor shared that people only sought help uh, only when the marriage is on the brink of divorce. Uh, by then, maybe it's already too late. Uh, don't wait until that point to seek help. Uh, seek help early. Uh, personally, uh, Collie and I argue a lot. So when I argue uh, with Collie, uh, I all I always pick up this book and read read it to remind me about marriage. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you if you have married friends, you're going for uh, weddings. Well, this is a good book to buy for them. So what this book reminds me is uh, that we are all sinners, and mar- in marriage, it's about one sinner marrying another sinner, and we need to keep working things out. I need to keep working things out with Collie uh, by God's help. We must work hard to stay married because God's plan for marriage is permanence. And what we see in today's passage is generally divorce is sinful to God. Also, if you are thinking about marriage, you must work hard to get ready for it. Work hard in communicating with, uh, with one another. Work hard in resolving conflicts. Now, you don't have to get it right all the time, but there must have been some progress from the time that you started dating until now. And you find that you are still not ready and you are going to get married, but there's nothing wrong in postponing the wedding to work on your marriage now. But because God intends for marriages to be permanent, not for marriages to be permanently bad. So Jesus' teaching on marriage raises the bar for those people who are in God's kingdom. Jesus' standard is higher than the Jews of that day. But this also means that there is very little, there's very little way out if you're stuck in an unhappy marriage. And the disciples realize this too. So that's why they ask in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if the situation between a husband and if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Better to remain single than to divorce and sin against God. And Jesus replies in verse 11, Not, ev- not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. 
for there are eunuchs who have who are who are born this way, and there were eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there were there were those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Not everyone can accept what the disciples said. Not everyone can accept that marriages that being single is a is a real uh, something that you must think about. This is what Jesus says in verse 11, at the end of verse 12. Not everyone can accept that it's better to remain single than to divorce and sin against God. Then Jesus shows us uh, three groups of eunuchs. Eunuchs are men who have been castrated so that they can serve the queen. So they are unable to have children and they choose to remain single for the rest of their lives. So the first group of eunuchs are eunuchs who have been born with some deficiency and they cannot have children. The next are the ones who who have been made eunuchs so they can serve the queen. And the last group, this, this is the one that Jesus wants to focus on, the last ones, last group are the ones who choose to live as unmarried people for the kingdom. So the last group realizes that, is, that singleness is a good choice uh, for the kingdom of God. And this was very surprising for the disciples because people of their culture normally got married. It's not normal for any for people, for someone to remain single. And that's that's roughly how we think today. If you watch, if you follow Disney or if you watch Beauty and the Beast or something, right? It's always taught it's always taught us that there is the one out there, and that one will fit everything you could ever want from a partner. So if you choose to be single, that means that there is something wrong with you. Then your relatives will nag you every Chinese year to find someone to get married. And our friends will desperately try to matchmake us with their friends. As if, as if singleness was a disease that needed to be cured by marriage. I read about this 35-year-old Christian single lady who got it bad from her relatives. So they said, Why aren't you married yet? Why do you spend all your time at church? You say your God is good. But how come you have gone to church for the past five years and you've gotten nothing? You are still single. Just look at your cousins. They think that singleness is weird. But to Jesus, singleness is not a disease. It's not a lower class. Singleness is normal. Just as normal as marriage. In God's kingdom, some will marry, some will remain single. Now the important, the important issue here is the kingdom of God. It's not your relationship status. When I was in university, someone asked me what my traffic light was. So do, do you young people use that nowadays? Yes, you use that. Okay, great. I, I'm still young. Okay. So was it green, orange, or red? So green meant that I'm available for a relationship. Yeah, now you get it. Orange meant that uh, I'm, uh, cons- I'm considering someone for a relationship. It's complicated. Red meant that I'm taken. So for people then, uh, for my, for my friends, being single meant that I was available for a relationship. It meant that I was giving people the green lights or to consider me. And that's, that's how people think. 
But that's not how Christian singles, that's not how people in the kingdom of heaven should think. If you are single, be content living as saved singles in the kingdom of God. And use your, the extra time you have to know God more, to read the Bible more, to meet other people, to encourage them. And Nine Marks uh, is, a, is a Christian website, and now and then it publishes uh, journals, free journals for, uh, for pastors and for Christian leaders to read to help them uh, in, in ministry. So the recent article is on singleness, on pastoring singles. And there's this article uh, that I read recently. This is what it says. Okay, oops. Okay, well, all right. Where does the where does the beauty of singleness shine brightest? Not in exotic trips, or Netflix binges, or waking up on a Saturday at the crack of noon. Though these things can be nice, singleness shines brightest in ability to serve, to drop everything at a moment's notice, and make travel and a funeral arrangements for a family who suddenly lost their child. The kingdom of heaven becomes so important that your relationship status, or that's secondary. Pleasing God in the kingdom is more important than your relationship status. Well, so if you're single, you need to ask yourself, how am I using my status as a single for the kingdom of heaven? Well, I know of a few, I know of single Christians who choose to remain single because well, they, are, they are attracted to someone of the, of the same gender. So they would rather please God and remain single and to sin against God and to pursue a sinful relationship. But that doesn't mean that if you are single, you cannot marry. Or if there's a godly person available, well, you can choose to marry. If you marry, you are pleasing God. You can please God by living out what God, what God created marriage for. If you remain single, you can please God in the kingdom of heaven. But you might ask, you might ask, how do I know if of the saying in verse uh, 10 to 12, how do I know that that's for me? If you are married, well, the saying is not for you, you are married. But if you are not, if you are not married, if you are still single, well, don't rule it out completely. It is still an option. For those of us who are married, well, we must not uh, discourage our single Christian friends by try putting, putting in a lot of effort to try to matchmake them. Because we are saying that their singleness is not normal at the kingdom of heaven. I was, uh, recently I was at the, I was at a wedding, I was having a wedding and at the, at the dinner, at the dinner meeting between the, uh, between the, the groom's helpers, the bride was trying to, was trying to advertise for all the, all the single bridesmaids to one particular groomsman. Trying to say, oh, this girl, oh god, this quality is that quality. This girl, well, I think she's too holy for you, and, and so on and so forth. We are, because when we do that, we are discouraging singles from serving God. We are, and we are encouraging them to use their, their time, their statuses as singles to find a partner. We should encourage them to use their time well as singles in the kingdom. In God's kingdom, marriages are permanent and singleness is normal. Or you might, you might think that you are the one in charge of your relationship status because it's your life and it is your relationship status. And 
you are the one who ups, updates Facebook to tell you to tell the whole world that you are married, not God. So you, you might think you are the one who makes the rules on marriage and divorce. But you didn't create marriage. I mean, you didn't even create you. So you must evaluate uh, our statuses as single or as married to see whether it fits with what the Creator has intended for singleness and marriage. And in the, and in the Creator's uh, description for, for singleness and marriage, well, divorce is not in His plans. And divorce should be a last resort rather than a default option when our marriage comes to trouble. So if you know of someone who has been divorced, well, you encourage them to try to work things out. But, if after, but after the person has been divorced, remarriage to someone else isn't the only option. A singleness is also an option. Or remain single and serve God in the kingdom of heaven. Or marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. Well, these are very emotional, these are very real issues. Well, many people are unhappy in their relationship statuses. I read uh, an article about singleness. So this, in this article, the, the writer struggled as a single person. So she, she asked, if God wants me to be single, then why hasn't he taken away my desire for marriage? I mean, this, that could be the same for those people who are married. If, if God wants me to be married, why hasn't he, why does he, why, why is it so difficult for me to remain married? But this writer knew that her unhappiness, her present unhappiness, her unhappiness now, reminds her that she doesn't belong to this world. She belongs to God's kingdom. And there is a struggle for those people who are in God's kingdom while, while living in this world. And being unhappy in this world is a normal part of that struggle. So the way you think about your marital status shows your view of God's kingdom. If God isn't important to you, then what is important to you might be what, is, what makes you happy. So if, if marriage makes you unhappy, it will end in divorce. If singleness makes you unhappy, then you'll spend all your effort trying to search for the one. If God is what is important to you, then the marriage he has put you in, well, that should be permanent, even if you are unhappy. If God is important, then being single in a kingdom is normal, even if you are unhappy. So this is what Jesus has said, this is what God has said about marital status for those who believe in Jesus, those who are in the kingdom. And I've, I've said uh, over and over again that this is not easy. But hard as it is, uh, we should try with the strength that God has given us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for creating marriage. And we thank you for creating singleness. Father, help us to trust you in the relationship status that you have given us. And give us wisdom to know what to do in the difficult situations that we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.